welcome to the Innovating Purpose podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. Lord Jesus, we we pray alongside the leadership in this church and the, that we would be the hands and feet of Christ in whatever avenue, whatever situation you've called us to be in. Whether it's a season of reflection and physically we're not able, season of sickness where we, we hope and dream about being well again, Or it's a season of busy where we are healthy and happy and everything's going along well, but we aren't pausing enough to reflect on you. You are in our midst. You are with us without our requesting you to come with us. You're always here. You love us. And you created us. And we ask today that we would appreciate in a new and a fresh way all of the ways that you care for us. And that you deeply love us. As we open your words, may we be refreshed and challenged today to, to see you in a new and a fresh way, to be reminded of the passion that you filled your disciples and the early believers with. And we, may we be so bold today to receive it with the same vigor and the same excitement and the same enthusiasm. Thank you, Jesus your presence. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We will be continuing today in the book of Acts, and it will be in chapter 2 that I will be reading from in a bit, but we're going, I wanted to get you on pace so that you could find where we're at today uh, before I jump in too fast and get there ahead of you. So I hope that we can uh, enjoy and experience this together. To fill you in and to refresh your mind from the weeks prior to this week, we have discussed how the Holy Spirit has been moving and been amongst the believers And has come upon them in a fresh and a new way. And last week I discussed that the Lord was opening the line of communication. Opening the line of communication. So that not just the disciples and not just the 500 or so that saw Jesus and spent time with him. But that this good news through the Holy Spirit would begin to go out to all the nations. And one of the main barriers, as I shared last week, was communication. Communication is so key. 
obviously I can be speaking English and you can all process and understand. You get to discern if you want to do anything with it, if you're interested in it, and if you want to listen well. What's so beautiful about this story that we are in the midst of is that God is communicating to the ends of the earth, to the limits of the communication barrier, and he had given words to the disciples that were his words in all languages. He represented the corners of the world in these beautiful entry point moments as the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. And we left off on a pretty, a particularly interesting verse to leave off on. I don't think I've ever left off on a sermon on Acts 2.13 where I said, the crowd ridiculed them and said they're just drunk. That's where I left us off last week. So hopefully you've read the story before and you didn't just wait a whole week to find out what actually happened. Uh, But that is where we are entering into the story today. But before we get there, isn't it fascinating how language can unite us? But it can also divide us. If you don't know the language that is being spoken and you don't have a translator, it's a very awkward scenario to be able to tell someone, I don't speak your language, or to say English, if they don't even know that, that's a very odd moment. You kind of bow and walk away because there's really nothing else you can do. So to hear this windstorm that thrust upon this room and then to hear all of these people proclaiming Jesus in their native tongue. If your native tongue isn't English, then you know how sweet it is when someone speaks your native tongue. When you hear it, whether it be in the supermarket or whether you go back home and you begin to hear the dialect and the sound and even the accent of your people, oh, you have a bond with them that is so wonderful. I remember the little bit of traveling I've done when I was in Germany and then I also went to South Africa. And to hear all of the beautiful dialects and to hear people worshiping God in all these other languages and I couldn't tell you what they were saying. And then when you get back home, it's almost like you want to get down and say, oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be home. I can can hear. I can understand. It's that moment of, wow. And I know it may sound silly, but there is a beauty in being home and to hear your own language. So to hear that God's word was being spoken in their language could you begin to process that that was miraculous? I want to prompt you this week and remind us that God wanted his word to go out everywhere. And I know I've said it, but I want you to really hone in on this. And he does this in Acts, and I want to kind of map out where we're headed in Acts. There's three different sections as you go through Acts. 
There's three parts. The early on stage is where we're at. This is the moment that there is major distribution of the good news about Jesus, and it's happening through the communication barrier being broken. This is God's word going out immediately and communicating to all people at one gathering. We already talked about this, this harvest feast that had been taking place. People were so excited to gather because God had blessed them with resources. So all these people groups traveled in after Passover, a few weeks after Passover. They traveled in 50 days later and they were celebratory. It was all of these people groups. They come in together to celebrate and now I am hearing the dialect from a distant land that I'm from, and it's being spoken by you, and you shouldn't be speaking that dialect. You shouldn't know that language. These were common, everyday people that God has broken through that barrier, and they are speaking fluently through the Holy Spirit. It is clear that God is on the move. The second part that it goes into that we will see is that the, the good news, the gospel, goes into Judea and to Samaria. And Philip takes the good news there. And we'll see that in weeks to come. But this was to unite the surrounding kingdoms. All of these kingdoms would know Christ and they would hear of Christ. Even to Samaria and Judea, which to a good Jew you shouldn't go there. You shouldn't speak to them. And the last step is to take the good news to the ends of the earth. This is beyond the borders and the boundaries that they were familiar and, and would have understood. And this is Paul going and planting churches everywhere, not to glorify his name, not to speak of John the Baptist, but to speak of Christ, the real Christ who was for them, who had come for, to this world for them. This is the ends of the earth needed to hear the good news. And it was so exciting that they were willing to plant churches and people believed it and they began to proclaim Jesus in local new churches. These three stages is how we get fast forward a few thousand years to today. It's based on this initial movement that we see that the good news spread. And I want to show a video in just a second. And this video it summarizes really well, but it talks about relationally how we were separated from God from the very beginning through Adam and Eve. We see that they sinned. They desired something else. They didn't desire this relationship with God. They lost trust and they wanted to self-sustain. They wanted selfish things. They wanted to do it their way on their terms. And so as we see these three pieces of acts unfold, it takes us to a beautiful picture of the church. Let's watch that together. Now this three-part table of contents shows us the movement that should have been present in the book of Genesis. God's presence taken out by those who were near it. But what Adam and Eve failed to do in their flesh, God accomplished by giving his spirit. But what is it that spreads this presence? What is it that performs this reversal work? What action is enacted to secure this worldwide reach? It is this. 
Everywhere the disciples went, the gospel was preached. Whether it was Peter's Pentecost sermon or his plea before the rulers, whether it was Stephen's testimony and martyrdom or Philip being the Ethiopian's tutor, whether it was to God-fearing Gentiles or in pagan Greek rings, whether it was Paul in every synagogue or before any king, their message was about one thing, that Jesus is the promised Savior, the scriptures promised God would bring, that he died for our sins and rose from the grave to finally set humanity free. But something else happened in all three of the regions the disciples would visit. There was one work of God that would make his presence explicit. When the gospel was preached and the people would hear it, the event was marked off by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For Jerusalem, the Spirit came at Pentecost to show that the power who raised Jesus from the dead is now with us. For Judea and Samaria, the Spirit came through the preaching of the gospel and the laying on of hands to show that those who seemed to have worked themselves out of God's grace were still within God's plan. And when the Spirit poured out on the house of the Gentile Cornelius, God was showing that this good news was not just for one group, but was for all of us. The Holy Spirit covers page after page of the church's early story to reveal the glory of this fact, that humanity is no longer separated from God as they were back in the Garden of Eden. For they have been made into the new house of God, for they have God living within them. And something else happens as God's spirit goes out universally. It's that the people of God start to be filled with diversity. Jews and Gentiles, Bereans and Ephesians, God-fearers and pagans, Romans and Judeans start to come around the table with other nations and regions. For that is the reason God told the disciples to go, to leave Jerusalem, so the whole earth might become the new Garden of Eden. Now, this church on a mission has come to us so that we may continue taking the gospel to the whole world until it is the venue where people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation can come around the table and break bread with the God that made them. The Acts of the Apostles now continues with us, the church. So may we take the good news of Jesus to our neighbors and to the nations until the light of Jesus fills the ends of the earth. Jesus, the promised Savior for all people, for all time. Let's open God's word together. Acts 2, verses 17 through 24, as we begin. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will be will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. And the help of, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. As I read these words, these are the words that Peter responds to the crowd as they say, these are nonsense speakers, they are only drunk but the truth of the matter is they were drunk with the Holy Spirit. And Peter is beginning to articulate, beginning to explain that this is prophetic. This is a, a spoken of what was to come from Joel, the book of Joel in the Old Testament. These are prophecies that are being filled that people would be able to communicate God's love and his good, good news to all people everywhere. What an opportunity. But I also see the enemy key and at work. When things are going really well, in the moment when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, I see the enemy trying to brush it aside. It's nothing. It's a nothing work. They're simply drunk. If you read what Peter says, he says, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. This is bigger than a drunkenness. This is the filling of God within his people to be able to proclaim his goodness into all nations. Do you hear it? Do you see it? And these people were beginning to be impressed with God's movement amongst his people. This is God coming and fulfilling scripture. This is God pouring out his Holy Spirit this is an endorsement of Christ, and this is in verse 20, 22. We're asked to pay attention, and I love how it says, people of Israel, listen. People of Newburgh, listen. And it begins to describe all of the ways that Jesus was who he says he was. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He was God beginning to move amongst his people. And this prearranged plan, although it felt like we had done an evil, horrendous deed, and in fact it was to kill this Jesus, it was also prearranged so that we might be saved through the death and resurrection of Christ. Without these circumstances, even though we killed our Messiah, even though he was talking to his own people as Peter proclaims this, it's also clear that this was a part of God's plan. 
Because it revealed God's authority and it revealed that death could not hold our God down. Death could not do the final sting. Death would not defeat our God. He is above death and dying and sickness. And he offers us hope and life and restoration and communicates with us so that we can be back in fellowship, so that we can be back in relationship with Christ. And this is a beautiful reminder. It goes on to say in Acts chapter 2 in verses 25 through 28 that I won't read, but it talks about King David being the fulfillment, and he's also speaking of this Messiah that would come. He's, he speaks in verse 25 that this, this Lord will be with us always, and this is beautiful. This Messiah would be resurrected and that he would be placed at the hands of God. How beautiful that God spoke to his servant David in olden days that a future descendant of his would sit on the throne forever. The ancient of days would come through the lineage of King David and that he had the foresight and the prophetic word to know that his future child would be the Messiah that would restore his people an ultimate restoration that no war could fix, an ultimate restoration that no amount of attacking and and taking back the land would ever fix. This is Christ restoring hearts. This is not just taking back the land that would be stolen from the Israelites. Goes on to say in Acts chapter 2, And if you'll skip to verse 33. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven and at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Do we see this? Do we recognize that he poured out his Holy Spirit on us? I want to read from 36 through 41. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord, who you follow and listen to and leads you, and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Would you pause there? How often do we ask that question when we've heard a prophetic word from the Lord? When we've read something powerful from God's word. Brothers, what should we do? How profound. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. (laughs) I love that statement. That's really good. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Wow. I hope that allows you to sit back and to say, what should we do 
The implication is clear. Peter is transformed. Peter is bold, and he's finally saying what he should be saying. And he's proclaiming Christ well. Wouldn't it be beautiful if, as we left today, we asked ourselves, what should we do? How should we respond to this good news that we have heard today? That a Savior loves me and he wants me to worship him. That Jesus satisfies every longings of my heart. That he can change me from a selfish desire and a selfish pursuit to no longer please me, but to worship him and to please God. It's clear from these passages. It's clear that they, they heard and they felt a movement of the Holy Spirit in their midst and they responded. See, we can see it and we can hear it and we can choose not to respond. That's every, we have that right. But these people heard and listened and they chose to respond. Jack Wilcots from the book Why Friends Are Friends I want to share with us because I think so often we, we're afraid of what we believe as friends and Quakers, and I want us to live into that boldly, and I think that's a good way to live. When speaking of baptism, when speaking of communion, sometimes we apologize for it, but it says, why then do friends sometimes assume an apologetic or negative stance with fleeting or inadequate references such as Quakers do not practice the ordinances or friends don't baptize or take communion. How many of you have heard these things? One must immediately exclaim, but Quakers do practice the worship and discipleship procedures taught in the Bible. We do believe in baptism. We live in and on our communion with the Lord and with one another in the faith. Without these sacred and beautiful experiences, our lives are empty and powerless. Daily partaking of the bread of life provides the energy for witness to those about us. The outward evidence of God's grace in our lives is carefully explained by our Lord. All men will know that we are disciples if we love one another, John 13, 35. This is the distinguishing characteristic for Christians, not a symbol, not a sign, not a one public act, not one singular public act. It is a way of life, a way of living made possible only by the power of God, the inner cleansing, abiding presence, and daily submission of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, Jesus uh, said just before his ascension, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.5. And they were and we are too if we, get, if we wait for the gift my father promised. Apparently this is what Paul had in mind in writing to the Ephesian church when speaking of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. One baptism, happily, it is Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit as he promised rather than John's, which was finished. Apparently, it is what our Lord had in mind when giving the missionary commandment, therefore go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name 
of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I want us to live into this, that this is not a one-time act. That we shouldn't apologize for the movement of the Holy Spirit within us. If you know the Lord as your, as your Lord and Savior, you know Jesus Christ well, this act should change the way you live. You are now in communion with the saints as you, your outward pouring of the Holy Spirit is evidence of what the Lord has done internally within you. The Lord blessing you with the Holy Spirit is beautiful and wonderful, and we ask that you invite him in, and his movement is powerful. And we can argue and be frustrated that, oh, well, we don't baptize, or oh, we don't take communion. No, it's just the opposite. We believe that it is for every day that the Holy Spirit fills us. And the overflow of the Holy Spirit within us is what we pour out onto this lost and dying world. And it satisfies our every longing. And there's no amount of wine or juice or bread or cracker. There's not enough water in this whole world to cleanse us. It is only through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit within you that is open for you to accept and for you to ask and welcome the Lord into your life. And I don't want to discredit those who feel passionately of taking bread. That's beautiful too, in my opinion. It's beautiful when others come together and they want to celebrate and speak well of the Lord together. And if someone wants to share their testimony of how the Lord has, they have accepted the Lord into their life, and they want to use a certain amount of water to commemorate that moment, I say praise God that they found Jesus and that they are willing to walk with him. I will not choose to be frustrated in that. I celebrate that we are on the same team and that we worship a sovereign, righteous God. I'm thankful that the entrance into heaven isn't based on some of our acts. It's based on what Christ did for us. I want to put these two questions up as we go. Perhaps you want to stay and you want to discuss with those around you. That would be wonderful. What was and should be different about those who have heard the good news? And what does it mean to, to repent, to turn from sin and ask Jesus to forgive us, for forgiveness. I want you to sit with those. If you're not right with the Lord, I want you to ask those tough questions. But I want us to pray together in closing. And I'll leave these questions up as we leave today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are in our midst and you poured out your Holy Spirit upon us generation after generation given permission to experience you and to know you as Lord. You are the same today as you were yesterday. Your Holy Spirit has not been squelched. It has not been put under a box. It has not been hidden away. 
You are alive, you are powerful, and you are ever-present with us today and forever. We ask for your pouring out of your Holy Spirit afresh and anew today. I shy away from even the word revival because I want a fresh and new sense of the Holy Spirit, not just in this church, but in this community, that we would sense your Holy Spirit is at work and there is no denomination that has to be attached to that that we would see people's lives transformed and the forgiveness of sins being offered through the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we would celebrate and worship him and we would be united in worship and celebration together. May we pray so boldly for this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. May you fill this room, may you fill our lives to capacity, and that we would go out in an overabundance and pour out on this community. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.